Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. On today's show, we're talking about risk-taking when a good deal presents itself. This past week, another investor who's developing a residential subdivision had their source of funds evaporate. The timing, a week before closing, is awkward for the buyer. They have alternatives, but they're definitely going to be scrambling to maintain some level of control. The buyer asked if we would step in and purchase the contract from them and close in their place. The challenge is that completing the due diligence in such a short time period is going to be difficult, and there will be some corners cut in the due diligence process just out of necessity. The true question is whether the risk being assumed in cutting those corners is enough to step back from the deal or not. The value of the land is tied entirely to its development potential. If the land remains farmland, then the purchase price is far too high. If the land can be fully developed, as has been represented by the seller, then it's a bargain. And if the land can be partially developed, well, then who knows? So how does a buyer segment their due diligence in order to find the ideal balance between risk and reward? We have an extensive due diligence checklist that we apply to our own projects. In this particular instance, the other developer has not completed what we would consider to be a complete due diligence. When performing due diligence, the work falls into three basic categories. Number one, the specific submarket. Number two, the people. And number three, the deal. If we take over this project, we're not going to be relying on anybody else. It's going to be entirely our own team, so we better be comfortable with the people involved. So the people is not going to be part of our due diligence criteria. It comes down to the submarket and the specifics of the deal. We're 100% comfortable with the specific submarket. We know there's demand in excess of supply. The specific market we're focused on is Boise, Idaho. This is the third fastest growing market in the country over the past several years. Last year, 650,000 Californians relocated to other states. Texas drew the most transplants, while Nevada and Idaho had the largest share of their population being newcomers from California. Idaho had over 13,500 Californians move into the state in 2019, and the COVID-19 pandemic has only accelerated the trend. We have all the major national home builders now active in the market. Some home builders who had been absent are now competing with us for land. We believe the purchase price being offered is a fair price. Somehow, we need to get comfortable, though, with the risk, knowing that the planning department has not made a recommendation to city council and that city council has not voted on the entitlement. At a sale price of under $20,000 per lot, the property seems like a fair price, provided it can be entitled at that density. We believe that the fully entitled lots will capture a higher price in the open market once they're shovel-ready. The profit potential is definitely there. But then we also need to look at the big picture and we need to look at the downside. At this moment, we have land to develop about 500 homes in that market. At what point do we become overly concentrated in a single market? When does the risk become too large? What percentage of the overall market do we alone represent in terms of growth? When we look over the last 20 years, housing starts in Boise have averaged around 5,000 units a year. They were above the trend line in the mid-2000s and then fell below the trend line during the Great Recession. Current housing starts are in the range of four to 6,000 units on an annual basis. So our land holdings would represent about 10% of the land for housing starts in any given year. That's a significant percentage. Not so high as to represent a dominant concentration, but it is still significant. Of course, Boise, being one of the fastest growing communities in the country, it's difficult to assess exactly how much new land is coming in the form of new supply for housing. The entire valley has got a lot of farmland. Conversion of farmland into residential subdivisions is not my preferred method of land development. 
but when you have a small family farm, no larger than a hobby farm, sandwiched between two residential subdivisions, and the owners have died, chances of that land ever being returned to farming are vanishingly small. I obviously prefer to focus on infill development, redeveloping areas that have been previously developed and have fallen into disrepair, and have been abandoned. Most cities across America have those areas. The city itself seems to have exhausted development land within the core of the city. But the problem within the urban areas is that the major national home builders simply will not undertake those type of infill projects. If you could even find them, infill projects are generally too small to mobilize a full construction crew for multiple years. At this stage, we don't know if this new project makes sense yet. We have not been able to meet all of our due diligence criteria. The upside is pretty clear. It's the downside that's not as clear. And unless we can get enough information to satisfy our own due diligence process, we'll have no choice but to decline the opportunity. Tempting as it might be, we simply cannot sacrifice the discipline in our business for what might be a good deal or equally could be just a dud. So we are comfortable with the submarket and we're not comfortable with the specifics on the deal. As you think about that, make sure that you are following your own due diligence process. Make sure that process has been developed outside the heat of the moment, outside the heat of a particular deal. Have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.